Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla, and today our special guest is Arun Malikarjunan. He's the CEO and co-founder of Symbiosis. Welcome to the show, Arun, thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you for having me on. Of course. So as I mentioned offline before we started hitting record, I like to get the audience to get to know you as a person a little bit more before we jump into all the business and juicy stuff. Are you from around the DC, Maryland, Northern Virginia area? No, I'm originally from India. I grew up there uh, from, I'm from Chennai uh, to be specific. Uh, I grew up there, I went to school. I actually started working there and I came to US in 2003 to work on a project. And uh, uh, it was supposed to be a six month project and the, <laughs> the project just kept going, I guess. I'm still here. That's great. So when you left India and you said 2006? 2003. Oh, 2003. I'm sorry. 2003. Around what age were you when you arrived to America? Uh, I was 24. Okay. Okay. Great. And I guess before India, you were working on something that made you come to the US to work on this project, right? That's right. I I was working for a software development firm. Okay. And uh, they had a client in Denver. And I had done a project for them previously from India, and they wanted me to come on, on site to finish the project. So that's how I got it. That's why I got invited. Okay. So I guess you were in software and tech? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is that what you majored back home in India? Oh, it's kind of like a weird mix. So I started, my dad was a mechanical engineer, so I grew up around fixing stuff. So I, I took up mechanical engineering for my undergrad. Then uh, around the third year, my uncle gave me his uh, old computer because he bought a new one and I started tinkering with it and I was like, oh, this is cooler and I don't have to get my hands dirty. So I started liking computers more and more. And now I knew a little bit of programming from high school. So then I said, okay, let me do my master's in IT. And it, it was just coincidental that to me, at least that the IT was like a big deal at that time. It was really booming. So I landed a job as soon as I finished my master's. Great field to go into. Yeah, it was, yeah. That was definitely the right choice at the time. Yeah. So I guess growing up as a child back in India, Rune, you, uh, you know, tech or as far as tech, were you thinking about that back then or what were you into? No, I mean, I like solving problems and I, I think computers didn't become popular until I was in 10th grade or something. Uh, and, uh, I think so. I, I didn't know anything. I mean, I would have to like go to my uncle's house to even use my computer, use a computer. And I mostly I played games. I don't know if you heard of Road Rash. And, uh, so that was one of the popular games. And so I used to play that all the time. And uh, 
but I didn't get into it until my uh, third year of my mechanical engineering. Okay. Okay. I yeah. see. So then you, you received your master's there and then you started working from someone and then that's what brought you here. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Okay. I, I came in as a uh, consultant um, working for a storage tech. It's like a big storage company. And you went to Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was there for a year and a half there before I came forward to DC area. I'm, I'm sure uh, coming to Denver, from India, it's uh, it, especially just the weather alone was a big, uh, big shock. <laughs> no kidding. So I, I did not know what cold feels like. The coldest Chennai ever goes to is like 70, maybe 60 at the most. So I landed here with a raincoat. So, because I thought that's what you wear when you got cold. So I come here and it's like, what is all this happening to my body? It was just funny. Uh, but but it was, I love Denver, it's such a beautiful city. Yeah, I hear great things about Denver. Do you remember what month you came to Denver? January. Oh January. My gosh, wow. <laughs> yeah, never seen snow in my life. I was like, uh, okay, this this is a new feeling that I'll have to get used to. Okay, so you, you were you said you were with that company as a consultant, as a role as a consultant for about a year and a half, right? Yeah. And yeah. Then, so yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then. And I was gonna say, and then what happened afterwards? So um uh. There is something called a work visa, it's called H-1B, that's what we come on. And that, uh, I was supposed to go back to India after the project ended, uh, but the, and the project ended a, a year after I came here and I decided I wanted to stay a little longer. And you're allowed to stay up to six years on that visa. And I just found another opportunity to work for, and uh, that's what led me to come to DC. So I found a startup that uh, wanted consultant. I joined as a consultant. And then I converted to a full-time position in that startup. Okay. Was it as far as similar role, always sort of in like the tech or software I, or? Yeah. So I stayed with that company for a while. So the, the, my career choice is kind of, uh, uh, it's very, uh, uh, what do you call that? Gradually leading to where I am now. Mm -hmm. So I always liked uh, working in small teams. So whenever I switch jobs and I can see now as I'm talking to you that I just kept picking smaller and smaller and smaller companies to go with. And uh, eventually I, uh, that led me to Next Generation Broadband, which, is based, uh, which was based in DC. Uh, and uh, I was all, always a developer, uh, like building products, et cetera, solving problems, coming up with new product ideas, et cetera. And around 2008, the 2000, sorry, 2012, uh, as we were all brainstorming at uh, at Next Generation Broadband, and we call them NGB, we were brainstorming what next to do. I pitched an idea. I say, hey, what if we build like a Facebook for TV, uh, where essentially you can find out what you want, what you want to watch based on what your friends are watching at the moment, what they like, what they dislike, and I. So I that idea got traction. So everybody pitched in different ideas. We picked two of them and then a team went in to build the other idea then me and uh next generation broadband's code co-founder we joined together to build this product out we call it co-view co-viewing kind of okay so, so so basically within a company you almost started your own company right yeah yeah and i had no idea what i was doing at the time in the sense that i knew that there was a market for it there was a need for it but i had no idea about entrepreneurship and the journey that involves, and like I, I just learned so much uh, with my uh, co-founder at that time. 
so you co-view it, you said, so it's sort of like Facebook, but you're watching videos and then you're able to see what your friends like. Yeah. So like, for example, the, our platform will sit, I mean, it, we are, my partner's still running the company and we have the, we have like demos, the app is on Android uh, app store, et cetera. And what it does is that the platform sits between you and your content, right? Be it Netflix or TV or cable TV. And it will, and because your friends are also using it and they have given their preferences of what shows they like, et cetera. When you turn your app on, it'll show you what your friends are watching at the, at the moment. And if nobody's watching, it'll also show you what are the general popular likes and dislikes from your friends group. And it allows you to watch with them together uh, so that you guys can share an experience of watching your favorite shows together. And it'll work really well with uh, sports uh, shows, et cetera. And this was before, and then part of this was that I had like the idea for uh, Amazon's, you know, Amazon Prime's X-Ray. So that was a feature that we had in mind, but we never got to it. Uh, but uh, those were all part of this whole ecosystem that was supposed to be. <laughs> that, that's interesting. It's, there, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, but, but that, that would require for your friends to also download that app, right? That's right. That's right. It's just like you are having a Facebook app and I have a Facebook app. It's kind yeah. of similar concept. Okay. Okay. So how was that experience? That was sort of your first role there as an entrepreneur. Oh, it was completely transforming uh, uh, because uh, it was just me and my uh, co-founder at the time. And we had to start everything from scratch. I had to learn how to not just code. I mean, this was a completely new platform that I had to figure out how to code. But I also had to figure out how to do product development, which means I have to figure out how to write the user stories for the features, et cetera, find a team to build the, the product. So it was just a overall amazing, amazing experience for product development. And then once we had the MVP built out, then we had to go find investors to talk to. So that was another learning experience. Hey, this is how you're supposed to pitch. This is how your deck is supposed to look and all that stuff that came along with the way. It was just a really, really eye-opening experience for me, for sure. That's interesting. I, I'm curious, Arun, with this, how were you able to get sort of the market or the general public to know about this technology and this app? So um, we that's one of the things that I think uh, is uh, we couldn't, we haven't solved that problem yet. So the app is not uh, fully finished. Okay. So we only have like a small set of features and uh, my partner, uh, I, I kind of uh, took, a, took a step back a little after, uh, after spending two years on it. Uh, but uh, they're still trying to figure out. I think the, the problem that they're trying to solve is that chicken and egg problem. Should we get the users first or should we get the investment first? So, uh, there's, I mean, he's still working on it. The app is, the, the company is still alive and doing well, but uh, I think uh, he's still uh, trying to get the investment going before he can start building the features and then getting it out because you need the team to build the product and you need money to build the team. Yeah. No, no, I understand. So you, that was started in 2012, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, you said about two years later, 2014, you decided to take a step back from that? Yeah. So 2000, so I was also doing my MBA at the time. So I had just finished my MBA in, uh, uh, in uh, late 2013. And uh, Suba was also finishing up with one of her, uh, my wife, Suba, she was also finishing up with one of her uh, courses. So we said, okay, we need a break from everything. We've been working so hard. So we put everything in storage and we traveled uh, for six months. We went through like Central America, South America, Africa, 
then we also stopped by India on the way back. And then we came back after six months. And it was like a fresh start for us. I was still working on Coview during the time, but at least I had my mind kind of reset uh, from the daily work of like working and studying at the same time. It was just too much. That must have been an amazing trip, that six-month oh. sabbatical. Yeah. The, the, I think it changed me as a person, mainly so that uh, because I met so many interesting people uh, along the way. Uh, there was this one guy that we met, for example, he had been biking from New Zealand. He, he biked across all across New Zealand, then went to Australia, biked all across Eastern Australia, took a flight from there to Chile, and then he had biked all the way up to Bolivia. That's where we met him. And he had done about 10,000 kilometers. And he would say that he would just do about 1,000 kilometers a day. And all he had was a small backpack. <laughs> wow. That's all he had. Yeah. It was wow. just amazing. But anyway, these are one of the, some interesting folks that we met with. Uh, uh, but it definitely changed me as a person, for sure. Like, I learned so much about the world, myself. Um, yeah. I highly recommend everybody do something like that. I, I'm curious that that individual, when you say bike, is it like a bicycle or a motorcycle? Yeah. Bicycle. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what made it incredible. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. That, that, that's great. The six months, you know, I always hear, I, I love traveling and is just, is traveling to different countries. It's just a mm-hmm. culture, but six months, it, I, I, when people do that, there's a lot of people, for example, in Israel, once they leave the army, a lot of them do something like that. Yeah, they go for, them, yeah, yeah uh, they go for months or for years and they That's just right. travel all over the world. That's right. Um, and it's such, just, a, such a great thing. I think culturally speaking, we did meet a lot of Israel, Israelis. Mm-hmm. And I mean, noticed that like most of them were coming right after the army service. And I, I think culturally, that's a great thing that encourages people to go about exploring the world and learning more about the people around, uh, around you rather. And I, I wish more and more people did that. Yeah, the uh, one of the what was I going to say? Uh, the uh, I can't, I can't, I lost my turn at that. But anyway, it'll come back again. I'll bring it up. Yeah, with with, with the traveling part, I'm curious. Did you have maybe like one or two or three favorite places that you just love? Oh yeah, for sure. So the 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 most fun I had was in Ecuador. I think the 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 thing that got to me was that the country being so small it still had like all these huge diversities. Like we have the Galapagos, obviously, then we have the rainforest, then we have a desert area, and then we have mountains. So it's like, you just have this tiny country that's got like all kinds of landscape with amazing people. Uh, it, was just, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Like, especially uh, in Galapagos, for example, where uh, Suba and I both, we don't know how to swim much, but I can swim a little. And we were out snorkeling and we both wearing life jackets, et cetera. And swimming in the ocean with hammerheads swimming right underneath you, where you, you know that you're not very good at swimming in. <laughs> if something happens, that's pretty much the end of you. But anyway, I mean, not saying that I recommend that to everybody, but I'm saying like it did teach me that, okay, if other people are doing it and you got a life jacket, you can still calm down and still enjoy the scenery uh while uh not freaking out rather yeah did, did did you have all this already planned as far as okay we're starting here and this is where we're going and then we're going to end yeah. up here oh okay no we, we didn't even know what we were going to do the next day sometimes like we would just we were essentially backpacking through uh wherever we would go and land in a hostel 
and then we would do grocery shopping and then hostels usually have kitchens. So we would cook and then we'd hang out at the kitchen table and then we would pick conversations with people and then see where they went. And then sometimes we'll go with them or sometimes we'll just ask them and where they went and then we would just go there. And that's how we ended up like most of the time we'd take the bus or the train or sometimes we would fly, but we would just make plans on the fly. That way we didn't have anything tying us down as far as timelines go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Do, you, do, do you have any children yourself, Arun? No, we have I have a six-year-old now, but at that time, obviously, I didn't. Yeah, sure. So would you recommend to your six-year-old when, when he becomes or he or she becomes an adult to do something like this? Oh, I, I, would, I would start him sooner. Okay. Uh, so uh, I want him to like uh, go to India and stay with uh, his cousins during the summer. And, and the flight attendants take such good care. I mean, even, I, even if I, we don't travel with him, we can just send him as an unaccompanied minor and they, they really take care, good care of you. So I can send him out and have him experience life on his own. Okay. Uh, obviously in the confines of the family for now, sure. but that'll get him started to be more independent. At least I hope. Have you tried doing that already at six or younger? So um, we were supposed to start last year, but obviously COVID, of course. <laughs> that got pushed back, but uh, definitely Hopefully one of these summers when everything settles down, I think we'll start thinking about it more. Okay. Yeah. So after this six month sabbatical, you come back home to DC area, right? You come yeah. Okay. And you're yeah. fresh. So, and, and what are you thinking then once you arrive back? So uh, I, at that point, I was trying to see if there's any other ideas that, I mean, I was still doing Kobe in the back, uh, but I was wanted to start something fresh. And I went with a couple of my friends. We started few things then pan out a lot. Then I just found a job at that point. So, uh, and Drew was also born. So I needed to kind of uh, step back a little. So I just found a job with Amtrak. So I worked with Amtrak from uh, 2014 until last year. Okay. Doing a software or tech? Yeah. So I was a solutions architect slash software engineer. So like a mix of roles. Okay. Yeah. Was that still here out of DC Metro? Yeah, out of okay. uh, Union Station. Oh, okay. Do you live in D.C., by the way? I live in Silver Spring. Okay. My office yeah. is in Silver Spring. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, right off uh, Route 29 there. All right. Yes. Yeah, so, no, yeah, very close to downtown. Okay, yeah. Okay, great. So then la you said last year you started the new company, right? No, 2017. I started it while I was at Amtrak. Oh, okay. So yeah, you did that on the sorry. side. Yeah, so that's what was uh, hired in the beginning because I had to keep my full-time job because until th this company found success, I didn't want to risk the, the monthly paycheck. And the, the unique thing about Symbiosis for, from a family perspective is that Subo is also starting her practice. So she quit her job as a PT and then she started her practice. So, um, and then the whole idea for Symbiosis, if I can step back for a second, the whole idea for Symbiosis came about because Suba wanted to start her practice and uh, she almost gave up the idea after learning how much work there is involved in getting your practice started and for which not, unfortunately she was not, not prepared for it, right? both mentally and through experience. Nobody taught her at school how to run a clinic. Nobody taught her that uh, this is how you're supposed, this is what, these are the problems that are going to come. These are the things, how much, how many hours you're going to work, et cetera. And she didn't have the interest, the second part, right? She didn't want to be doing all that. She wanted to run her clinic, but she did not want to be dealing with the hassles of the operations. So she came to me when she talked to her uh, colleague who had started his own practice. And he said that the first two years are 
a nightmare. And that led us to this aha moment, like what if somebody does that for you? And because that, that, per, that company is doing that for every other clinic, they're gonna be able to pass on the economies of scale to you and make your, one, it'll be cheaper, and two, your uh, workflow will also be more efficient because they're kind of using the same workflow for across many clinics. And lastly, because you're gonna be operating your practice in a space that has many other clinics that are complementary to what you do. So a PT and OT, uh, a speech therapist, a psychologist, all of these folks operating their own clinic, but then can refer patients to each other. So it's a win-win every which way you can think of. So uh, that's what symbiosis is about. And back to my original point. So uh, the unique thing was, I, because Suba is also starting fresh, so our revenue, I mean, our family's monthly income would have hit the, the tank really if, if I had quit my job. So I had to manage the job and run this at the same time. So Suba took up the responsibility initially getting this up and running. And slowly as we started getting more and more busy, then I could uh, take my time off Amtrak and then do this full time. So, so, so Suba, once she found out all the, all this needed to just open up her own practice, she decided to step back and then do symbiosis. And then you went this route instead. That's right. So symbiosis is always there. So, so we set up the office in DC for symbiosis. Suba started her practice, capital physical therapy as a clinic inside symbiosis office, uh, even though she also founded symbiosis. So she played like a dual founder's role. Uh, but then as Symbiosis started getting busier, as we started getting more practices into the space and into the community, Suba started focusing only on capital physical therapy and I, I started taking over Symbiosis' operations. This is interesting. So Symbiosis, Arun, basically you're taking a large space and then what you're dividing it into different offices. What's the setup? Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, that's how we... Um, we uh, make it and we empower healthcare providers to start their own practice, right? It's essentially you can boil it down to practice in a box. So you, let's say you are a healthcare provider, you're an internist and you want to start your own practice, right? You're working for somebody and you don't want to quit your job. If you, if there was no symbiosis, what you would do is you would say, hey, I'm going to do this part-time, but then you'll still have to sign a lease. You'll have to figure everything out on your own hope that it succeeds. And when it succeeds, then you quit your day job and then do, do, uh, do this full time. Mm -hmm. So with symbiosis, we tell you like, hey, you can still keep your day job for now. Come to us. We'll give you like hourly, part-time, full-time spaces along with all the operational support that you need, like a website, uh, front desk to take, schedule your patients, uh, SEO, digital marketing, uh, back office to help you uh, manage your revenue cycle management, then the billing team who's gonna credential you with the insurance, build the insurance on your, on your clinic's behalf. So anything that you can think of that you want from your clinic's perspective, operationally, we take care of. Like, our software, I forgot the software part also. So this is the original premise for symbiosis, but what ended up happening over the last year is that we started getting really busy just before COVID. Uh, all our clients were seeing, were doing really well and we were getting really busy. And uh, we were using all these different practice management softwares to manage each of these different kinds of practices. And we started noticing that things start falling between the cracks. 
So like, um, and the reason is that information in a, in a practice, right, comes asynchronously and disorgan in a disorganized fashion. So somebody will call you and say, hey, uh, my credit card does not, uh, you got to change my credit card. And then the insurance will call you and say, hey, for that patient, you're de denied, you got to change this code, et cetera. So you got to manage all that information and make sure you don't miss anything. So, and, and the practice management softwares that are out there right now manage these data. Like they'll tell you, hey, collect this much money from Copay or build this insurance here, click this button, we'll build the insurance for you. But they will not tell you, hey, you forgot to do something. Hey, you're doing this wrong. Hey, this is supposed to be done before that. Hey, something is coming up. You gotta be aware that there's a deadline coming up. You gotta prepare for that. They don't tell you any of those. So we said, okay, this needs task management. So we started building a task management, task oriented uh, practice management software, which broke down these events, right? We call them events like patient treatment, life cycle workflow events. I know it's a mouthful, but anything that happens during the patient treatment life cycle, we broke that down into events. Events get broken down into tasks. Tasks have assignees. Uh, and then when a particular event gets triggered either automatically or through, uh, through a patient coming in or something happening, the events get triggered, the events get the triggered, the tasks, the task gets assigned. If the task can be automated, then that gets automated. Um, and the whole point being that over the last year, we realized that there is a value to the software that we're building more than the, the services, just the services. So we said, okay, we can, if we can be the nexus of the patient, the, the practices, the services and the service providers using our software, we have something really, really good going on here. So that led us to pivot over the end of, I mean, January that, hey, we're now a software company uh, where we're going to work with medical office building owners to provide the space. We're going to work with the billing company to provide the billing. We're going to work with the digital marketing company to provide the digital marketing. And all of these services will be white labeled. So our software essentially brings all of them together. The practice comes in, they get one login, which does everything for them. They just go treat patients, go home, the money comes into the bank. So this is great, Arun. I love this. Yeah. I know it was a long winded answer to what you're saying, but I wanted to paint a picture. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It was helpful. So, so now then, whether you're PT, what any type of medical practitioner can use this software? Yes. Yeah. So the software right now, the software is not fully built and okay. we're trying to raise capital to that effect to build out the software, but we are already using the software uh, with five of our practice partner practices. So right now, the way we are writing the software is that it exists alongside existing practice management software. So we pull the data from the software and then feed it into our platform. And then we run our own task-based uh, uh, workflow through that. But going forward, as we finish, as we raise money and then finish development, there will be no other software that will be used. It'll just be us. Okay. And the idea is then you can, this software would be available to any medical healthcare practice? So uh, eventually, yes. Initially, we're going to build up the brand by just offering it to our partners who are practicing in our space. Okay. And then as we get bigger and the word gets, word gets out about the software and the number of users increases, then we'll feel confident enough to compete against other practice management software. Right now, that market is 
so crowded that I, if we enter now, it's going to be hard sell. Okay. Uh, we just have to get our brand built up first. Okay, I understand. And your Symbiosis office is in D.C., you mentioned? Yes, thir- yeah, 1331 H Street. Okay, so just from, a, I guess, a, a patient experience, if you can walk me through, I'm walking into the office, right? And there's a receptionist that mm-hmm. is commonly shared with everyone? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you can either walk in or you, let's say you call in. Sure. The phone rings and the front desk sees which clinic you're calling from. So they answer accordingly. Okay. And then they, let's say you want to schedule, then they, look, they go log into our software, put your information in. And then they'll, that'll trigger an event for the benefits to be verified, et cetera. Or let's say you walk in after all this is done, you're coming for your first uh, session for getting evaluated for your uh, injury, for example. Mm -hmm. So you would come to the front desk, the front desk would say, Hey, okay, you're coming for which clinic. And then you would say your name and then she would check you in and then you would collect, she would collect your copay. And then she would say, Hey, have a seat. Because you would have the the way our software works is that we ask for all the information beforehand. So the forms that need to be filled up, uh, the copay information, all of that is collected beforehand. So when you're coming in, you're not sitting at all. Like at the most, you're sitting for a minute. So you come in, you sit. The doctor comes in and takes you, and then uh, takes you back to the room to get evaluated. And then once you go, once you leave, you can either schedule for the next session online or with the front desk. So whatever suits you best. Okay. So e- each doctor has their own room or maybe they want more than one room, may have multiple rooms, right. two, three or whatever it may be, right? That's right. That's right. So um, one of the th- interesting things that happened was uh, one of our partner clinics graduated. So uh, they became, they grew so much that they grew too big for us. So uh, they said, oh, we want three, four rooms. I said, I, that's not a good idea for us to have one practice take up so much of our space. So what, uh, what ends up happening is that they will move out of the space, but they keep the services. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So just the back office part, as far as everything else, they still keep that. They're just located right. elsewhere now. Right. Yeah. So our, our services work no matter where you are, but uh, the space, obviously, if I, we don't want one, one practice taking up like so much of our uh, uh, real estate rather. Then that kind of reduces the diversity. So um, they quote unquote graduate. So one of the, that leads me to this interesting thing that we discovered is that what we're talking now, as far as uh, partnerships go with service partners, we're also calling real estate uh, itself as a service. So we are working with medical office building owners and, and pitching to them that, hey, let us bring in these small practices and manage them and help them grow so you end up making a, uh, a profit over the, the pre, uh, over the rent. So let's say, let's say for example, it's a thousand, two, 3,000 square feet, right? So if the medical office building rents it out on its own, uh, they're going to be able to rent it out at whatever square foot range rate is for that space. But if, let's say they let us manage it, we bring in small practices. Instead of having one practice, we'll have like 20, 30 small practices. We're doing part-time and full-time. So it'd be a combination of them. Mm-hmm. They end up making 20 to 30%. The medical office building ends up making 20 to 30% more from that same space. And when these small practices go big and graduate, they're going to be like a sales funnel for these medical office buildings for a bigger space in the same building. 
So it's like a win-win for us and for the medical office buildings because we're not taking up the real estate cost. We are providing the services and we are helping these clinics grow. And the medical office building gets foot traffic, gets their space rented out, et cetera. Okay. That, that's yeah. a great model. When you mentioned 20, 30%, so basically let's say the landlord of the medical office building is asking X dollars per square foot for that space, two, 3,000, whatever it may be. Are you renting it at that price or how are you going in then? No, we have like the, we have a certain cost for renting out. I mean, so space itself is a service that we offer. So the, the, the providers who come in say like, Hey, I want space for either five hours a week or for 50, 20 hours a week, whatever, right? Or the, the space for themselves, like the room for themselves. Each of those has a cost associated with it. And when all that cost adds up, that after our fee is taken out, the, pa- the rent gets passed through to the landlord. Okay, okay, I understand. So you're sharing the revenue with that landlord. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's what you say. We're like, a, uh, uh, what do you call a, uh, um not a services company. I'm, I'm lacking the right term to say, but uh, we are not uh, a, a management utility company. Think of it that way. So we manage the clinics and help them grow. So we are managing the space for the landlord. So in a way, we can think of us as that way. Sure. And sure, our I, software I, is the one that's doing the majority of the job. And our partnership with the service partners takes care of the operations. Gosh, I have so many questions, Arun. This is very interesting. Sure, sure, sure. Fire away. <laughs> Especially since I'm in the commercial real estate world, and I, I have I, I deal with medical practices all the time. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Any any questions that you have? No, no. I I find this model interesting. It's almost like a combination of a salon suites or like a co-working space for office combined, mm-hmm. but only for the medical practice. Plus, you handle everything else, be That's the right. back of the house. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we can be thought of as an accelerator, a practice accelerator, where we are getting these clinics started off the ground, help them succeed, help them outgrow the accelerator. So eventually they, they, they take up the space, a bigger space in the same building. That's where, as far as the real estate goes. From our perspective, our software enables us to manage all these clinics efficiently. So for example, because it's task-based and most of the task is automated, I only need one front desk person for like five or six clinics because most of the stuff gets automated. The front desk is at the most answering phones. The copay and all of that gets collected automatically. Uh, the phone uh, registration patient intake, all that stuff is automatic. The, the front desk is not dealing with all that. The, the back office, all they do is they make sure that uh, they look at the dashboard to see how, well, who's working on what, whether any tasks are being missed uh, or past due date. Uh, the audit helps you with making sure that the copay collection happened properly or like if the credit card was declined, something like that, or the session was not built properly. The audit, that's also automatic. That takes care of that part. Then the, the billing, I mean, each of the service partners do their own job. So we can be very efficient in how we are managing these clinics. And because of the software, that leaves us with very little need for human resources to be on each of the site. We need like at the most one front desk and then we can share the office manager across different locations also. Uh, Arun, from the landlord's perspective of the real estate, if they're renting to you, they're not getting the fix. Let's say they're asking, I don't know, $40 a square foot, let's say for this medical space. They're not getting 40, they're only getting a percentage of whatever revenue you bring in. Is that correct? That's right. So we're not renting. So we're not signing a lease. It's going to be like a 
partnership between us. And okay. Everybody. I'm curious from, from your perspective, your business, is it economically better that way or is it you take on that lease responsibility and you keep everything? So our, our goal is not to be in the real estate at all. Okay. Uh, our goal is to be focusing on only on the software. Um, the real estate is uh, used to build up the community, build up the brand. So from a company's vision perspective, the real estate is a part of it, but that's not our end goal. Sure. But that said, if we have the cash, I think uh, we might change our model on how we partner. But at this point, because we're so young, I would rather use that cash to be doing software development than putting it towards like real estate. And especially given the fact that the, we're, the return on investment from the landlord side is such high. So at one point we were able to uh, project like at full capacity, the landlord's gonna be making at least 35% more uh, than what they would if they uh, rented out at, to one clinic for that same square foot. Okay. Interesting. And you can show those numbers to the land. Yes, because of course. That's yeah. another thing I was going to ask you. How, what, how easy or hard is it as far as presenting this idea to, to landlords? So we've started working with uh, two, uh, we're in the initial stages of discussions with, uh, with a couple of uh, medical office building owners. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see the value given the, the current market situation as far as commercial real estate goes this is a much better attraction, right? So some of them ask like, hey, what about telehealth? Is that a threat? I said, the people, the, the kinds of practitioners that we target, telehealth, even though it's an option that they have, the patients don't prefer it. Like for example, in physical therapy, patients want to be seen in person, chiropractor patients want to be seen in person. Um, uh, speech therapy can be a combination. So people still want to be seen at some point, but they can have some sessions telehealth. So there's definitely a need. I'm just quoting three, but we have like uh, 15 sets of specialties that we generally target. Uh, so there's definitely a market. And the, the fact that private ownership for uh, private clinic ownership dropped from 70 to 30% over the last decade, mainly because of the ability and the capacity problem. But 80% of the providers who are working for somebody want to be starting their own practice. They only don't do it because of these barriers to entry. So I think we can definitely tap that market. You mentioned there's a list about 50 practices that may be a good fit for you. How about what do you think will not be a good fit? Um, Is that a shorter list that you can say? Oh, so um, anything that requires like heavy equipment. Okay. Uh, so like, uh, the way if you have like very special requirements that you need the office to be a certain way and you need heavy equipment or specialized equipment that needs to be installed, then uh, it takes it kind of makes it harder for us to cater to that market. Not that we cannot do it, but then that also means that we have to invest all this up front, then that room cannot be shared. So so those, those kind of practices, they're not that many, but uh, like, for example, if we have general setup and then we want a dentist coming in that's at this point unless we cater to like different kinds of dental providers in that particular location it won't be suitable for me to just target one dentist to come in and say hey open your practice here for example sure no no that makes sense and that's what i was thinking that the dentist with their operatory or if they needed x-rays and then mm -hmm. we're talking about more plumbing and equipment needed yeah yeah but a regular, just a general family doctor, which probably will need at least a wash sink in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you can so accommodate something like that. Okay, you do. Yeah. Okay. So we, we generally, when we design a space, we have like 30 to 40% of the rooms will have sinks in it. Um, and the way it works is that we have a consultation room and an exam room. So the exam room is where they take the blood pressure and all that stuff, but then they take them back to the consultation room to finish the diagnosis and the treatment, et cetera. And then that exam room can be shared with other um, practices that need to be using the exam room. So, so uh, and then the sinks would be there accordingly. From, from a doctor's perspective, they, they really just almost need just to walk in and right. everything's ready for them, right? Everything's ready, yeah. We, we actually just added, uh, this was before our pivot as far as the real estate goes, but we just added 2,500 square feet to our DC office. And the uh, office, I mean, we just opened doors like literally like the beginning of this month. Uh, we have like one room already occupied. Uh, we have uh, um, kind of a, um, negotiations going on for two more rooms. So uh, the interest is definitely there. And with the, the economy opening up and people starting to get out after getting the vaccines, I think our direction is definitely going, I mean, we're going, going the right direction, definitely. Arun, from the doctor, you mentioned some of them may be part-time only occupying rooms for a few hours a week. Some want a whole room dedicated just for them and their practice. So for, from how does that work? Is it different tier membership pricing or? Yeah, you got it. I mean, you're pretty much hitting the nail on the head every time. Okay. Uh, so we have like different packages. We have the practice accelerator where all the services are included and you get your own room. Uh, and this is targeting doctors who are uh, kind of established, but they want to uh, establish themselves more. Like, for example, they have been working part-time somewhere, but they're now confident enough that they want to launch uh, full-time. They're going to go at it full-time. Or they're coming from another area and they have the cash to get set up right away. So that's for them. Then we have the, the paced growth where you get the room for yourself. Uh, but you might not use all of our services, but just the few that you want. So then we have the, the startup package where you, you buy hours, blocks of hours that you can use. And then again, you can add any of the services that you want. And when you're using a, a room per hour, you're not, that room is not exclusively yours. You can be in room A today and then next week you can be in room C. That's right. That's right? right? Okay. Yeah. And our software will make sure that nobody, I mean, there's no conflict in the room being used by two people at the same time. Sure. And uh, now with COVID and everything, but anyway, even prior to COVID with medical, I assume that if there's rooms that are commonly shared with other doctors and practitioners, they're being cleaned also by you to handle all that, right? right. Yeah. We've we've, We've not had a single incident. We've been doing this through COVID, right? Uh, we've done it good, well enough that we've not had a single problem the whole time. This is great. I'm just thinking of a doctor, like because uh, I, I deal with them often. They're, you know, they might be working at a hospital or have a practice here and there, and then they're trying to lease an office, a medical office space, and they're telling me I'm only here maybe two, three days a week for a couple of hours, and now they have to lease this yeah, space. Exactly. Yes, um, but now they have an all another alternative. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. This is great. Okay. I, I love this idea, Rune. No, thank you. Well, it's not like we came up with this whole idea right off the bat. It's slowly evolved into where we are now. Uh, so that's one of some of the things that uh, I always tell people, like some of the lessons like I learned over, not just during the travel, but also like, actually, let me start from the travel, right? Uh, because I think uh, I always uh, tell myself like, hey, 
uh, I remember, I'm sorry, not tell myself, I remind myself when I'm feeling down that when I was climbing Kilimanjaro, so we kind of picked this thing that, hey, let's just go climb Kilimanjaro and we were grossly underprepared. Uh, and we get, we did it, we chose the five day climb package just because, why not? So we get to the base camp and, uh, and then the, our guide, our, uh, he says that, okay, we're going to climb at midnight. And we had just finished the climb and got to the base camp at 2 p.m. So we were really, really exhausted. And we walk in six, seven days every day. Uh, so, uh, so we get to the base camp, we are resting and it's really cold. Uh, so we're a lot of, like freezing and tired. And then 11.30 comes, 12.30 comes, we're tired, we're sleeping and he wakes us up like, hey, it's ready to go. And our feet are frozen because we, I, I stupidly took my shoes off before going into the tent. So anyway, we start walking and it's pitch dark. I have no idea where I'm going. I have this small, tiny flashlight in front of me. And I look up and I see these tiny dots moving. So I know there's a huge amount of uh, climb left and we're supposed to walk for seven, eight hours, I think. Um, and anyway, so every few minutes I started asking the guy like, yeah, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And at some point he got annoyed. And then I, I realized, began thinking, and then I realized is that, hey, if I just keep putting one step in front of the other, and if I keep doing that, there's no reason why I won't reach the top. And once I realized that, uh, I mean, I was talking to Subal, so we both were exhausted and we like talked to each other, like, hey, all you have to focus is on just the next step and nothing more. If we keep doing that, it's going to happen. And, 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 no, and you know what? It had to happen. We had a beautiful, beautiful viewing at the top. It was just amazing. And it all happened because we just took the next step, you know? So that was one that I really, really uh, uh, tell myself again and again. The second thing is uh, perseverance. So uh, when I started symbiosis, it was just, Suba's clinic that was our first client. And then I had another small client for which we were doing the IT services for. So that's about it, right? So I had this huge lease that I had signed and I didn't have anybody. And uh, there was this one doctor who came in and OBGYN and she said, oh my God, this is exactly what I want. And I put my, all my faith in that clinic because I didn't have a lot of leads. And she was like, I, this is exactly what I want. I need two rooms. And I'm going to come meet with me and my partner. Uh, I'll sign it on Tuesday. And I go home on Friday like, oh, my God, this is, this is good. Somebody's believing me. And she never responded back. And I asked her. And she said, sorry, it doesn't work for us. And I, I fell into like a, uh, like a two-week depression uh, because I was like, oh, why did she say it? Am I not doing the right thing? Is this, this is the right idea? Am I worth it, et cetera? And Suba, I mean, we speak to each other all the time and she, she made me realize is that the problem is not that she said no. The problem is that you only heard one person and that person said no. If you just keep finding people and then there are more people coming to you, one no is not going to deter you. It's just going to say, okay, I'm just, if you said no, that's okay. I'm going to move on to the next person. Uh, so if I persevere past this and then say, keep trying again and again, and I would, there's no reason why it would not work because we know the idea is good. It's more about us realizing that we got to get the word out for people to know that we exist so we, they can come and work with us, you know? So these are the things that startups 
when you start a company, you don't really know that things are not going to work the first time. You got to keep trying again and again. Uh, I think it'll help a lot of people um, get through that phase of uh, initial hurdles. And to, uh, yeah. So anyway. Definitely. Thank you for sharing those stories, Arum. And you brought up a great point as far as getting known out there in the marketplace and the leads. Now going through that experience, how are you currently finding doctors or possible leads? Um, it's a mix of direct and indirect marketing. So we have a really, really good digital marketing team. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a mix of SEO and uh, Google, Facebook ads, etc., YouTube ads. So, and, uh, and the podcast that's going to uh, take, uh, hopefully uh, get popular over time. So SEO and the podcast are long-term strategies. Uh, the direct marketing and uh, uh, the digital marketing are like short-term strategies. So it's a mix of all these and getting the word out to like direct marketing, for example, getting into these associations, chapters, career centers. Um, so that gets us, gets the word out to these residences who are graduating. Um, certain, certain practices like psychologists, most of them start their own practice right after they graduate. Mm -hmm. And um, most of them want to in other practices too, but they're too uh, afraid to do it because of the risk involved. Uh, but if we get the word out and show them that the risk is uh, reduced more than 60%, uh, then I think uh, it kind of makes sense for them. So we're getting some leads through that. Then you're also uh, uh, ad advertising through Facebook and Google, et cetera. So that, uh, that brings us constant set of leads. So one of the things that we do when we do these ads is that we are constantly monitoring them for the ROI of these different marketing channels. So we know which one's working better and where to focus more on. At this point, we are, it's more like a, we know it, all of these sounds work. We want to find out which is the most efficient. So when we pitch to more medical office building owners, we can uh, kind of objectively tell them that, hey, I can have this much capacity by this time, et cetera. So it will give us a much better uh, answer. Are, are you doing all this digital marketing yourself or did you hire that out to SEO company or something? Yeah, so the, the partners, the service partners that we work with, uh, they're doing this for us. We manage it, but they, they are the ones we're doing. Okay, so you're not doing it in-house. Someone else is doing it for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm curious that the ROI, what are you seeing as far as all the different digital marketing that you're doing give you the best results? Um, I would say the really uh, high ones are the Facebook and uh, SEO. Mm -hmm. SEO, we started because we knew this was going to come. We kind of started SEO a while back and it's starting to bear fruit. Uh, those are at the top right now. Okay. So Facebook and SEO. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and for Facebook, are you focusing more just right now in the, our area here? Yeah. So right now, because we are targeting people to come into our DC space. Sure. We have like certain demographics that we target and then we target only the local uh, population. Okay. Uh, with uh, Facebook ad, I, I'm curious, Arun, is it picture? Is it just word or video or what do you It's a combination of Oh, you're trying. Okay. So you have different ads going on at the same time. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What, what would you say now, Arun, that motivates you and drives you? Uh, it's a really hard question to answer. Um, i trying to think. I think uh, maybe um, helping, uh, solving problems, helping people. I mean, it's, it's always been the reason 
uh, that something motivates me and and mainly because my mom and dad uh, did this often like uh, solving problems and helping people so i grew up watching other people's reactions as their problem gets resolved or they're being helped so i kind of i think it, i internalized it young enough that i liked enjoying that seeing that feeling in people uh, so i think that's what kind of keeps driving me and i see this thing working i see the software solving the problem i see providers clinics growing um, so it kind of motivates me to okay i can do better i can do more etc that's great are they some habits or skills that you use frequently, whether daily or pretty often, that you think has helped you personally or in business? Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the Writing a journal, I highly, highly recommend. I do it every day. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, it kind of, you sit down at the end of the day, you only take like five, ten minutes. You just write what happened during the day, what, what went in your mind as you, as you experienced that. Uh, during the day and then you kind of write like what you could have done better or what you should be doing next time so it kind of helps you reset so that the next time it happens you do this often enough it's not like the first time you write it you're not going to do that the next time but at least over time you see you kind of stop doing making the same mistake again and again so that's one thing i highly recommend so it is journaling at the end of the day at night as far as how your day went and how you yeah. improve yeah okay all right great that's a good idea. I, I hear that, especially some people do it in the morning too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was gonna say, I write the journal at the end of the day, in the morning, all right? So I, I mean, I used to do it differently. I used, I do it at, on Sunday night. I sit and write, what are the things that I'm gonna do each day over the week? Uh, then in the morning, I just look at that list. So I know the things that I'm supposed to do for that day. So that way I keep uh, like a daily goal uh, that keeps me on track. Okay, that's great. What would you say is your biggest challenge right now with your role at Symbiosis? Um, oh, raising capital. So first time you're doing it, we're, it's just, uh, we have to like uh, figure out how to get in front of people and how to say the right things and et cetera. So it's just a learning experience. That's, that's, what, that's the thing that we're all working, like the whole team is working towards achieving. We have the product, we have the working model and we know the future, we just need to get it in front of somebody that says, oh yeah, I believe in you, here's the check. Yeah. yeah. Have you started pitching already? Or are you preparing that? Or how's that going as far as the capital raising side of things? So yeah, we just started because after the pivot, I mean, we started pitching like around November last year, but then we pivoted in January. So we got to start from scratch, all, not January, so end of January. So we got to start all over again. So uh, it's a long process and I didn't know this at the time, but uh, after talking to so many people, I realized that it's not like a one month or two month thing. You gotta, it's like a long haul. You gotta keep at it. Just like the SaaS startup itself. Like it's gonna happen, but you just can't give up. You just have to keep going. What, what, what's the goal that you have for the, for the raising of the capital? So uh, it's a seed round. Uh, it's gonna, uh, if you're trying to raise 500K as a safe note, with a 2.5 million cap and a 15% discount. Okay. And, and as far as your, your ideal investor or VC venture capitalist, is there anyone or is people that you have in mind or? Um, right now I'm uh, looking at like high net worth individuals, okay. in, uh, private angel investors. Those are my, my best match. Um, and anybody in the health tech field or the real estate field, I think they'll understand it the most. 
Um, so that, that idea for sure. What do you know now, Arun, that you wish you would have known at the start of your career? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, I, I wish, um, I wish I was more persistent and more hardworking. I grew up a very happy-go-lucky guy. I was just more interested in playing cricket. So I wish I, was, I stuck to things that I liked more and then kept at it uh, than just moving on to something as soon as I got bored. I think I would have turned out a lot more, I mean, maybe different. I don't know, but I think it would have been more fun for sure. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned you just expanded a space. So did you relocate or did you just expand to the adjacent space? Yeah, so same building. Okay, so same. Okay. So now you have two different suites? Yeah, two different suites. Okay, but same model though, both of them. Yeah, same model. We just added more rooms. We, we, we kind of got oversubscribed, so we had to add more rooms. That's a very good problem to have. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I understand having a team and having the right people in the bus and the right seat is important. How does your team look like and how do you go about finding those, the right people? Um, I, I really have to say I'm very proud of my team. It's a really, really good team. Each one is really good at what they do. Um, so Sung, uh, he, he manages sales and business development. This is another room. He manages the operations. Uh, I had a really, really good uh, office uh, front office manager, Shawan. She's she's very good at what she does. So obviously, I didn't arrive at these guys the first time I started looking for somebody. But what I learned over time is to ask the right questions to figure out what their personality is and what their work ethic is. And once I was able to figure out what kind of how to talk to them and and get to the bottom of these kind of traits, I was able to find the right kind of person for my team. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a process. There's no formula. I think everybody has their own way of finding the fit, but this, this worked for me the best. From, from the sort of software side, I guess once you have the capital injection, I'm sure you're going to start having to staff up there as far as developers or anything there in that capacity. Yeah, for sure. So we, right now, uh, Vinu, this Vinu, I forgot to mention Vinu and my team. So he's doing the product development. Um, in uh, right now, it's just him, and we have a couple of interns working. Uh, but uh, the, the the capital raise is going to help us accelerate the product development for sure. Sure. Is your team is that are they sort of remotely or are they out of a central area? No. So. Um, Arun, Sung, and I we are part of the core team, so we come in. Arun and I come in twice a week. Sung is there uh, every day. He he pretty much uh, runs the show as far as the daily management goes. Uh, Vinu works remotely. He he works from uh, another six so, but uh, uh, and everybody uh, and Shawan obviously is the front office manager, so she comes in every day also. And the rest of the team is remote. Okay, great. Well, what does, what does the future look like, Arun? What is that, the next five years or so? What's the vision? Um, I think we'll have like at least uh, anywhere between five and 10 locations, at least uh, in, uh, in this region. Sure. Then um, if not more, it depends on what the world and time they can have another COVID or something. But uh, if, uh, so that's gonna happen and then we're gonna be able to launch the software platform to be accessible to the general public also. So we have like many different streams of revenue, not just from the space, but also from, from the software license uh, from outside the space.
That's great. I, I, I see you already expanded in your current building. And so for the next location, what, what does it look like as far as your ideal footprint and size in order for you to also meet that growth, which hopefully you will be getting in all the locations? Yeah. So I think it'll be around three to 5,000 square feet to begin with. So we always start a little small and then we want to add more. You don't mm -hmm. want to sign a 10,000 square foot and then sure. say like, hey, unless we are confident, right? If we do the market research, before we sign up, we, we partner with the landlord, we do an extensive market research and we've developed a formula that basically gives weightage to different categories of um, uh, criteria, and then ranks, gives them weightage and then ranks the zip code based on what is best and what kind of providers are needed, et cetera. Uh, and if that shows that there's a huge need, then we can definitely translate that into a bigger space. But if that doesn't, then we would rather start with 3000 and then, then add more. What are some key indicators that you look at as far as seeing if, if this is the right location for you? Well, I mean, that's the secret sauce. So I cannot oh, okay. discuss that in detail, but just, just uh, believe me when I say it, we have like, we have about 20 uh, criteria that we look at and then rank them, et cetera. Okay, great. Arun, last question. What do you like to do for fun in your free time? Oh, I, I play badminton. Uh, I run, I bike. So essentially stay outdoors after working uh, indoors all day. That's good. Very active. Yeah. Well, I have to, I think, uh, just keep my mind a little uh, fresh. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way. I, I try to work out every day in the morning and that's almost my own therapy. That's uh, right. Exactly. I, yeah. How do you recommend it? I, I recommend it to everyone. It's my own therapy and the rare occasions when I don't do it, I feel so bad. I just feel that's a great way to start my day personally. Uh -huh. um, so I completely understand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you're, I, mean, yeah it, it, I know that we didn't come across it. It's just like when we do something and it see that it works, then we do it more and more. And it's, it's pretty obvious that if a lot of people are saying that, then working out is definitely the way to be. Like it just keeps your mind and body healthy. I don't, yeah. Arun, if people want to find out more about you and your company, where can they go and reach out and get some more information? Sure. Uh, you can reach me at Arun at joinsymbiosis.com. It's J-O-I-N-S-Y-M-B-I-O-S-I-S.com. Uh, and our website is joinsymbiosis.com. So uh, those are two places where you guys can uh, um, find more information or reach me. Fantastic. Arun, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have a great time. Yeah, same here. Thanks. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.